Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. We heard about that Jesus is the head of the church and that when we speak the truth in love and we're people of grace and truth, that it causes us to grow up into him who is the head of the church. Ephesians 4 teaches that. That as we are people of grace and truth and we speak the truth in love, we put our faith into action as the body of Christ. It promotes health in the body. And Paul says it causes us to get in alignment with the head, with Jesus. We're loving as Jesus loves in the same way. And one of the things I've always loved about uh, this church is for the past month that Melissa and I have been here is in the traditional services, which I love, by the way. Um, we do the Apostles' Creed every week. And if you um, are maybe aren't, have been around church a whole lot and you go to that service and you think, why do they do that every week? Why do we always repeat the same thing? And, it's, and I thought that too when I was a little kid. And the reason is, is because we forget. We forget the words. I need to be reminded of the truth of those words, right? That's why we repeat these creeds. We face the cross and we repeat. And because so much of worship is, is remembering. We're remembering what God has done. And we were, it gives us hope in the present. It's a whole cliche joke. That's why the present is called a gift. It's called the present. Okay, that's the worst joke I'll tell today, I promise. But, but we remember what God did in the past. And it encourages us in the present. And it gives us hope for the future. Not only what, remember what God did a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, but you remember personally what God did in your life. So much of worship is remembering the faithfulness of God. And it encourages you here in the present. And then you look forward in the future in hope. That's why we have these creeds. It helps us remember the truth. And it's like, it's like clarity. It's like light breaking through darkness. And it's truth of God, of the, of the faith that's handed down to us from the saints that have gone ahead of us. So we're going to read the Nicene Creed. We're not going to do this every week, but we're going to do it just this week. As we go through these words, this is from the year 328 AD, the Council of Nicaea, they developed this creed. They wanted to say, this is what the church believes. This is what the Christian church believes. It's rooted in scripture. It's rooted in the experience of the apostles. So we're going to stand, and we're going to read this together in one voice. We believe in one God.
church. We believe that the church is that we're under the authority of, of, of Jesus, that he is the head, and we, we live our lives under his lordship and authority. We believe it is one, holy, apostolic, and Catholic, which also means universal. It is the redemptive, redemptive fellowship in which the word of God is preached by men and women divinely called, and the sacraments are duly administered according to Christ's own appointment. That means, so of course, the baptism and Lord's Supper are called sacraments. They're called sacraments because Jesus is the one who instituted them. He was baptized. He instituted the Lord's Supper. So that's why they're the two sacraments in the church, and that they came through Jesus' own volition and, and, um, and appointment. Under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, the church exists for the maintenance of worship, the edification of believers, and the redemption of the world. It's just good to hear those words that we exist for worship. We exist to build up your faith each week. And for the redemption of the world, right? No pressure, right? <laughs> but with God's help, all things are possible. To redeem the world, God's power is at work redeeming the world day after day. So when we hear this phrase that we believe the church is one, when I, when I hear that, I think with all the, the global church Christianity, of all the denominations, how in the world can we say that the church is one? If I did a quick Google search this week, which ironically pointed me to an article from an encyclopedia. <laughs> if you don't know what an encyclopedia is, uh, Google it. <laughs> Figure it out. I'm younger than me. And this is what this article from the encyclopedia said. There are 22,000 independent Christian denominations, 9,000 Protestant, which that's us, Baptist, Presbyterian, and so on. 9,000 marginals, there's 1,600, I don't know what those are, 1,600 of them, 781 Orthodox, it's like Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, etc., Greek Orthodox, 242 Catholic denominations, and 168 Anglican. When I hear all that, you think, what in the world, How, why are there so many? It doesn't seem like we're one, it seems like we're quite divided. But you have to remember that, think of it like a family tree. You can't think of unity or oneness like a stick in the ground. It's more like we all have the same origin, and it's branched out, and it's changed over the years, some better than others. But in our, in our beginning, we have the shared commitment to Scripture and a New Testament ethic. Uh, those are the two ties that bind uh, all these denominations that many of us still have in common today. Global Christianity in its, in its whole, especially global United Methodism, is actually growing faster than it ever has in the history of the church. Um, mainline United Methodist in America may not be the case right now, but globally, the United Methodist Church is exploding. It's the most inclusive movement in the history of the world, that the Church of Jesus is more diverse, more multi-ethnic, more multi-linguistic than any organization or group in the entire planet. And, and I read a book a few years ago that really has hit home with me. This guy named Tom Doyle, he's a missionary in the Middle East, and he, he writes this book called Dreams and Visions, and it's, he's a missionary in all these Middle Eastern countries, and he, is, he was encountering these Muslims that were coming to him and saying, there is this man that's appearing to me in my dreams, and I don't know who he is, and Tom would open up the Bible, and they would read the Bible together, and when they'd get to the transfiguration in, in the Gospels, or the resurrection, and when Jesus is, you know, his, his glory, as they say, he's glowing, and 
and when he's in the book, it says when they would get to that part, these Muslim people would say, I know that guy. He's appearing to me in my dreams. And he said there's more people coming to faith in Christ in Muslim countries than, than at any time in history, but it's places that you physically can't even get to to preach the gospel. That Jesus is going ahead of us in reaching people outside of our own ability. Isn't that amazing? That God is making this church one. That even in ways we can't even see or imagine. So the fact that, that the idea that the, the Christian church is somehow exclusionary is a false narrative. The global church has been more one than it ever has been in the history of the world. And that you can go anywhere in the world and go to a Christian church. Maybe some of you have done this. And you feel like you're part of the family. You feel like you're, you're like, you just know each other. That I went to the uh, Dominican Republic on a medical mission trip in 2008. And while we were there, um, the pastor who was sort of our guide, uh, well, okay, the people down there are just so awesome. Has somebody ever been to the Dominican Republic or anywhere down there? They're so warm and happy. I mean, I'd be happy too if I had mango trees in my backyard. <laughs> lemon trees and all this. It's just beautiful. The people are so joyful and welcoming and just so hospitable. This pastor found out that I was a pastor, and he also found out I could play guitar. Now, I can't sing songs in Spanish, but he knew I could play guitar, and he knew that a girl with us could sing a song in Spanish. She could sing Open the Eyes of My Heart. That's the only song she could sing, worship song. And so he found out we could do that, and he said, okay, Every night after we finished giving out medicine and helping people, he put us on the back of a pickup truck and drove us around San Domingo and showed us off, basically. We would go to these little churches there meeting carports and people's yards and living rooms. Just people crowded everywhere. And he would get up and say a whole lot in Spanish. I had no idea what he was talking about. And then he would introduce us and we'd go up and play the song. And then they'd talk a whole lot more, get back in the truck, go somewhere else. And I, I felt, I didn't speak the same language as these people, but I felt so united with them. I felt one with them. I felt these people were my brothers and my sisters in Christ. But we had not even talk to each other, and I was okay with that. I remember I was in a gymnasium one day, and this little boy came in, and it was, of course it was hot. It was very hot. He's sweating. I'm at a water cooler, and, and I think, I'm going to put my fifth grade Spanish to work here. I think I, think I can bridge a gap here linguistically. He comes in and I say, agua. He says, si. I say, aquí. I give it to him. He says, gracias. I say, de nada. Home run. Home run. It's all Spanish, I know. Zip. But I felt one with those people. You felt connected. Uh, Anne Marie and I went on a, a trip to Northern California many years ago, and we were on the coast, upper next to the Pacific Ocean. And we were there on a Sunday, and there was a Presbyterian church right there, and we thought, oh, let's go to church that day. So we walked into there. Didn't know any of these people, and we immediately felt just included, right? You just felt you're part of the family. We're worshiping, singing praise songs, hearing his sermon. No matter where you go, you can feel one, you know, with the church. But okay, let's just get down to it. How does Jesus define being one? If he's the head of the church, well then how does he define it? That's really what it gets down to. Now how do I define it? How does he define it? The night before Jesus is crucified, he's praying a prayer. 
And the incredible thing is that John records it in John chapter 17, which blows my mind. I don't know if he's hiding in a bush, writing this down. I don't know how John gets this. But he records this amazing prayer of the Son of God praying. And we get to read these words. It blows my mind. And John, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. And it, it shows so much of the heart of God. We get to hear the Son of God pray. And he prays for you. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. See, we can find unity or oneness in this sort of homogenous, physical sense, but Jesus is to find oneness in a spiritual bond or union. He's saying, may they be one in us, God, as, as I am one in you. There's just, it's beyond intimate. It's a spiritual union, this unbreakable connection with God. And Jesus says, please, Father, do this so that the world will believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying, may their oneness be a witness so that, so that because of their oneness, the world will see it and go, there's something going on here. There's something going on with, with what God is doing in his church. That oneness stands out in a fractured, divided world, and especially a divided country. The oneness of the church of Jesus stands out as long as we're committed to a shared commitment to the scripture and a New Testament ethic. The early church, Acts chapter 2, they had this experience where they were one. Before all the branches break out and all the 30-something thousand denominations happen, this is it at its origin, at its beginning. And it says this, all the believers devoted themselves in the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God. And here's the italicized, enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That their unity and oneness and shared love and commitment to, to each other that, that it, it, was, it, it was a witness to those around them. People said, I don't know what's going on there, but I want to be a part of that. It was a witness. See, before Acts chapter 2, this thing happened called Pentecost. We're not anywhere near Pentecost Sunday right now. But it's good to be reminded that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the church. Maybe you know the story. And it gives, of course, the power of the Spirit. The Greek word is dunamis. where we get our word dynamite. That, that the, the, the power of God would fall upon the church. And it did. Tongues of fire is the best way to describe it. But then something else happens that shows the oneness of the church that I never understood for so many years. That, that they begin to speak the languages of everybody present. 
that they begin to speak languages that they didn't even speak. It's like God was giving a sign within a sign. God is saying, I'm giving power, but I'm also saying that my church is for the whole world. My church is for everybody. That there are no more barriers. That I will transcend language to let the world know that my church has come. Now also, oneness does take work. It doesn't always come easy. The early church, of course, had problems. If you continue to read Acts, there's plenty of problems. Every church has problems. That's okay. But it does take work. Unity, unity doesn't mean that we just agree with everything, but it means that we can learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. That we learn how to speak grace and truth in a way that builds up the body. Last Sunday, I gave that sermon about grace and truth. Well, then Monday morning, someone came to me and said, you, you told me to speak the truth, so here I am. <laughs> and and I, I welcomed it. It was great. We had a great conversation. And it helped, you know, help understand each other a little bit more. And it was awesome. And so this person, I greatly respect them for putting in the practice. She was like, oh, okay, let's do this, right? And it was, it was good. We, we understood each other better. Unity doesn't happen by accident. It does take work. If you read Paul's letters in, uh, to, to the church of Rome or Philippi or Corinth, so much of what Paul writes is, children, children, can we play nice? Right? I mean, he's like saying, don't gossip. Don't be sexually promiscuous. You know, it's so much of him exhorting people, right? And when I read that, I think, well, one, he does this because people haven't changed much in 2,000 years. And two, Paul knew that when you engage in that kind of behavior, it causes wedges in the relationship. It causes fractures in the foundation. And it doesn't build up the body of Christ. It tears it down. It's sort of like, it's sort of like a marriage. I remember the best, some of the best advice I ever got before we got married was never talk about your spouse behind their back. Don't go to your boyfriends or your girlfriends and kind of do the old ball and chain, you know, world's smallest handcuff sort of cynical thing, right? Because it seems like fun, but what you're doing is that you're tearing down your spouse behind their back, right? And it's causing a wedge in your mind in that relationship. And, it's, and you can choose to do the opposite, too. You can choose to speak good things that build up. Not in a patronizing way, but you can speak good things and build up the relationship. Like Pastor Jeff says here, I love this. He says, gossip, good things. Right? Did you hear the great thing that happened in that small group? Or, wow, what a great job the mission team did, or whatever. To gossip, good things. And it builds up oneness. It builds up unity. John Wesley has a quote about this idea that just blew me away when I saw it this week. It was on a bench. High Point University, uh, where there's a statue of John Wesley. You've seen this? It's, uh, there's all these statues of famous people. And he says, we should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. Man, John knows what he's talking about, right? Because the secular world, the unbelieving world, it does the opposite of this. We're vicious in judging others and extremely lenient in judging ourselves. So much of what Jesus teaches is saying, no, nah, before you point the finger, there's four more pointing back at you. 
You've got to deal with your own stuff or else you're a hypocrite and God won't bless what you're trying to do. John got it right. That's a godly attitude. Be rigorous in judging yourself and gracious in other people. God knows their heart way better than, than we do. And that when we judge ourselves better or more rigorous, that it will build up the, the church, actually. Because here's what I've learned, and many of you know this. You can't fix anybody. Only God can do that. You can bring people to Jesus, and he'll heal them. But I can't do that. You can't change somebody's mind. Only God can do that. So the real question is, how can you become more one with God and let God fix you and make you whole and have peace with God so that there can be union in the whole body of Christ. It's like you can't change society with these broad brushstrokes necessarily. Like C.S. Lewis said, you can't make men good by law. You can have all the laws in the world and people will still get thrown into jail. It's only by the grace and the power of God can you make men or women truly good. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be one with God and have peace with God. Another thing is that oneness requires selflessness. Division occurs in relationships or organizations when one, uh, one side or both sides only want to take. They only want to take. And they're only interested in what they can get out of it. See, love says, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? Lust says, what can you give me? What can you give to me? What can I get from you? And lust is never satisfied. It's always something else after. It's never satisfied. It's empty will. Lust creates wedges in relationships and structures and organizations. But love builds up. It says, how can I serve? How can I give? How can I get conduit of the love of God? And Galatians 3.28 says that there's basically a level playing field because of the cross, that we're better, you're no better than anyone else. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're claiming, I'm actually here to be a servant. I'm actually here to be lower than, to be a giving presence as best I can with the power of God helping me. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus I was a camp director at a mission camp in a town called Franklin. If you want to know that, let's just go west and almost hit Tennessee. It's a great place to visit. It's a great place to visit. It's mostly people from Florida and a few natives and beautiful town. And I was a camp director at a mission camp. And I remember teenagers would come in and they would do work and all that on homes. And this one kid got up and shared one night. And he was kind of a, you know, he, he was not popular. I guess you could say, and he was kind of picked on. But he got up and shared one. I never forgot this. He looked at the kids in the camp. He said, you know what? When we get back to school, probably none of you would be my friend. But he said, because of the cross, we're all on level ground. That kid got it. Like he was, that was a mature statement. That, that, that Jesus levels everything and makes all of us one, people in need of grace. And lastly, that oneness follows mission. That mission or vision is what causes unity or oneness. You need to stay focused on the same core mission or vision. 
It's like you drive around High Point, and I love all these purple signs that just say I heart High Point, right? That's so cool because it unites the people around a common shared, you know, sense of pride, and it's also unites people around a, a shared mission. But we're we're one in that way. See that the unity or oneness is a fruit of the gospel, but it's not the main goal. The, the United Methodist Church needs to get this today in my opinion as well. That unity for unity's sake, it's not real unity. It's like living in a house with someone who hates you or you hate them, but you stay together for the money or something. It's not real unity. That, that the fruit of the gospel, people experiencing new life in Christ, that the growth of the church, the gospel being made known to the ends of the earth, that God will bring unity out of that. God will bring oneness to the people. That's not the goal. That oneness stays focused on the mission of the church. And so what is the mission of the church? I read it in the Articles of Religion. That's the edification of believers. It's the, the, the worship. It's the redemption of the world. But the mission of the church is also Christ for the world. Christ for all people. Like John Wesley said to Francis Asbury when he sent him on a boat over to the United States or the colonies back then. He gave him one piece of advice. He said, offer them Christ. Because you don't, we don't have anything to offer people. All we have to give them is Jesus, and he is more than enough. The mission of the church is to throw open the doors and to let the lame and the broken and the hurting and the drug addicted and the, the people that are hurting, let them in. Let them be one. Let them be united with Christ and heal the war in their souls. See that revival and awakening, the move of the Spirit across our nation, it happens in individual lives. It's like lights coming on. And as one person at a time comes to have union and peace with God, society is transformed. One life at a time. There was a revival in Wales that happened over 100 years ago. And it was so pervasive across that little island that the police force got done away with. Can you imagine? So many people came to Christ and had peace with God. They didn't need the police anymore. I know that you're thinking that's a little bit naive, but I like to think that's possible to pray and believe in such a way that that could happen again. Because if we don't believe it, then who will? And if we don't pray in such a way, then who will? That, that it can happen, but we have to pray that more people would be one in Christ. See, right now, in heaven, there is perfect unity. It's difficult to imagine, but it's true. In heaven, there's perfect oneness with God. All nations and races and people. Even John says in the book of Revelation, I saw a multitude of people, greater than I could ever count, and they all were shouting, Glory to God. The roar, he said, was going across heaven as they worship. See, in heaven right now, there is that happening. And that when we worship in spirit and in truth, we're getting a foretaste of what is to come. That we are, in a sense, helping heaven and earth come closer together and to feel the oneness with God. I like worshiping because there's some Sundays you probably don't feel like it. Right? And that's okay. I, I, would, I would lead worship for years and years at church and play guitar. 
and I love it. I, but there, of course, are some weeks you're like, I don't know if I really feel like doing this today. But thankfully, you get into that place and you're glad you're there. Because when you're worshiping, for one, you can do it by faith, but when you're worshiping, you're not as distracted, as distracted. You're not as tempted. And you're united with the church in one eternal focus. On that same trip to the Dominican Republic, one night now, I couldn't speak Spanish except for Agua and Ajit and Donato. That was instead of my lesson. Yeah. Um, but we had a translator, and they said, I said, there's a song. Do you know how to play the song? It's called Breathe. It's a praise song. And it says, yeah, I breathe. And they said, yeah, yeah, we're going to play that. And I said, okay, how about, how about you play Breathe? And, and when we get to the chorus, you sing it in Spanish. And then the rest of us, gringos from the United States, will sing in English. And they said, that's a great idea. So when it got to the chorus, we all sang. And when it, it just made this beautiful noise. It was like a whole other language. Just this this raw sound of worship. And as the band comes up and we sing our final song right now, we're going to sing this song called Breathe. And when we get to the chorus, sing it in English, that's what will be on the screen, but sing it out and see that when we worship, the body of Christ is one. We are one in the Spirit and one in the Lord. Let us pray together. God in heaven, we thank you that when we worship you, God, that we are one. We're one with the global church. And we're one with the saints that have gone before us. That we join in their chorus of worship as well. That we're united in our eternal focus. God, help us to remain committed to these creeds, to scripture, to New Testament ethic. To see, God, when we share the same mission, God, we're, we're moving in the same direction. And God, our best days are ahead of us. Help us to be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious to our neighbor. And I pray for anyone here, God, that needs to know that they can have peace with God this morning. That they would know that today, the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, but right now. It's all that we have. It's all that you've given us. And I pray, God, that your peace would flood souls this morning and evening. That your new breath of heaven would come and fill as we sing. Thank you, Jesus, for your good. We look to you and pray for